You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, everyday conversations between artist and audience member that highlights, demystifies and celebrates the classical music art form. You can gain exclusive early access to each podcast episode, plus a whole host of other benefits and trinkets by signing up to Thoroughly Good on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good. Hello, Podcast 59 was recorded at Snake Maltin's Concert Hall in the first week of September amid final preparations for the second annual Festival of New, a week of artist residencies for creatives looking to develop their thinking and work on a piece of creative output. This against the backdrop of East Suffolk's epic skies and the sound of reeds swaying gently in the breeze. You'll hear interviews with composer and pianist Sarah Nichols, who demos her Inside Out piano. There's a link to Sarah's Kickstarter campaign in the show notes. Cellist and composer Maya Booger, and multimedia artist Fran Lobo. Festival of New producer Rebecca Merritt gets things started with a bit of vision and context. And of course, a firm handshake and or a hug for the first thoroughly good Patreon supporters, Tanya, Raphael, Nikki, Marcy and Kieran. The type of work that we're looking at in the residency programme where it's actually the ideas are coming from the artists, you know, we're not commissioning these ideas. The artists are being allowed to be incredibly creative themselves. And it's really fascinating seeing some of those very classically trained musicians then suddenly going, oh, I could have that idea and actually do it myself. That's really cool. All of the groups actually have said that they've kind of ended up doing something slightly different to what they thought they would do on this residency Um, and that for me is kind of that's the success of it even if the project doesn't go on to be what they think it is going to be now or even if they it evolves into something very different or even if it doesn't happen they've had that experience and they've realized that there's something really really promising out of that they can also it's interesting to see how open-minded they all are when they come as well we're quite careful about who we choose to be part of this weekend because open-mindedness is the key but when they then come here and they meet all the other artists what does that do to their project how does that change their way of working um, we also invite a lot of industry as well so um, colleagues from other organizations and venues and funders um, to kind of come and see work at an early stage but also to meet the artists and get the artists meeting them I think there's um, quite a perception that, you know, from an artist's point of view, we're all quite big, scary people. And putting them all in a room together and giving them food and and making them talk to each other and giving them things to think about when they talk to each other as well, um, they kind of realise, actually, no, they're they're human beings too, the people programming these festivals and giving us money. And yes, of course, you know, they rely on those things hugely, but it's just nice to be able to kind of make everybody feel comfortable and safe in an environment. um, so yeah, for the artists, I mean, last year when we ran it, the overwhelming feedback from the artists was that kind of the mutual support that they all wanted to give each other. They kind of naturally wanted to be there at each other's events and be able to feed back to them and give them kind of comments and ideas based on what they'd seen. And, and then you kind of, a few years down the line, we might see some really interesting collaborations coming out of this as well. You know, um, I was I was interested in uh, the the need for open mindedness um, when you were talking about getting artists all in a room together and getting yeah. them talking to one another. It strikes me there's a there's a sort of a thinking development program, if you like, or 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 a, a desire to help people develop their thinking in addition to developing whatever work of art. They, yeah. Is that right? Well, yeah, I think I, I think it's fair to say that the residency program is definitely for people who are open to thinking in new ways. Um, if somebody writes us an application where they say, I'm going to do this, this and this, and this is going to be the exact outcome, we're not very interested in that because it doesn't give room for um, challenge, it doesn't give room for taking risk, it doesn't give room for just trying things out and seeing whether it works or not. And I actually think that um, if an artist gives themselves space around a project to test out a few ideas, know that they might fail in some cases, um, they will actually be better artists as a result of it.
It's very interesting because, you know, we obviously we're a charity, we rely on funding from various sources and, and one of the questions we're always asked when we put in a funding application is how are you going to measure success? What does success look like for you? Um, and it's taken us a while to get other people around to our way of thinking that actually success isn't necessarily that they've released their new album and managed to get you know however many people buying it it could be as simple as an artist was in a really difficult place and they were feeling a bit lost and then they had a residency and they realized okay this is the direction I need to go down to feel artistically fulfilled or to feel like I'm being as creative as I possibly can be when you run a festival I mean, you know this because you worked it. You can feel the pressure of making sure that the artists are amazing, the performances are amazing, particularly within the context of something like the Albra Festival, which is such high profile. No, I remember there being immense pressure. But the lovely thing about this festival is that it's all about risk and testing ideas out. And so we're actually able to say to our audience, I've well it might not work and if it doesn't we're sorry but just be open-minded about it it's really lovely that the audience kind of come on that journey with us and are as open-minded as we all are and so i'm here five hours before the festival starts not knowing what the hell is going to happen tonight or tomorrow and i feel totally fine about that <laughs> wow so to, so so want to be you um just without the, the pregnancy bit obviously so we've had six groups in this week who um, have really been, a few of them have literally started from scratch this week. Um, a couple of very brand new collaborations. So um, Sarah Nichols, who's made her own Inside Out Piano and has been doing various projects on that over the last few years, is collaborating with Maya Buck, who's a Norwegian cellist. Um, and they met um, at an event I was at at Cheltenham Jazz Festival about, well, it'll be uh, last May. and. Um, really hit it off and decided they wanted to collaborate and then decided this project was the thing and it's a project around climate change and what, how can we use music to kind of tell the story of how damaging climate change is to us and what we could be doing to impact it and they've decided to go down a really interesting route for their session tomorrow which is um, it's almost going to be like hosting a meeting like a town council meeting or something and they're going to use conversation and music to kind of create this sense of... So the audience members are going to be people coming to a meeting to discuss what they're going to do about climate change. You know, when you tell me that, I'm, I'm, there's a voice in my head going, God, I wish I was staying here for the weekend. That's really annoying. Uh, I mean, no, it's not annoying, it's great, but it's also annoying at the same time. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be told about something that you're really interested in and not being able to go, OK, so that's Sarah and... Adults keep saying, we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. I want you to act as if you would in a crisis. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. This I recognise. This is a projector stand, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. My dad had a lot of these. That's weird seeing that. <laughs> it was the um, yeah, it was the best thing that I've ever found for standing next to the piano, for looking slightly delicate, being able to put a laptop on, and. Um, I don't understand why they needed to have two. What was the second thing for? Was that for real? For your stuff, right? For your like, for your. Well, the you projector know. went on there. Yeah, it's for your for your canisters of your. Yeah. You know, thingy bobs. God, I didn't expect to. Slide. It's almost like a trip down memory lane. Well. Uh, yeah. mm. Anyway. But tell me yeah. who you are and why you're here. I am Sarah Nichols. I'm a pianist, and I'm here collaborating with a cellist, Maya Bugger, and we are. Uh, making a piece about the climate and ecological breakdown. Um, and I've brought with me my inside-out piano to musically express some of this. Before we talk about the piano, tell me about the work. Sure. I realise that they're probably integral, but there's a reason I want to save the best of last. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
The work is motivated by uh, the emergency of situation. So really it's for me an emergency response. Um, it's obviously a work in progress. It's a sharing. Um, we started working together on Monday, so it's hot off the press. Um, we were keen to make a show which talked explicitly about the situation, but that which did it in a friendly, unthreatening, non-preachy, straightforward kind of a way. So there's quite a lot of, we hope, opportunities for laughter and relaxation and enjoyment, but also getting to grips with the massiveness of the topic. It's, it's billed as a town meeting, I understand. Is that right? Oh, right. <laughs> Words got out. <laughs> No, I've just spoken to the producer. Ah, yes, <laughs> is yeah. That, is that what it is? So yeah. people are coming in and it's sort of a mixture of words and sounds and yeah. it's intent. You're looking at me in a slightly scary way. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, it's just really funny because, uh, you know, you know my secrets and I didn't know oh, you I'm knew sorry. it. No, okay. it's fine, it's fine. So, yeah, so we thought that it would be... Basically, uh, we've interviewed people um, in the run-up to this and one of the people said when they were talking about how they encouraged their local community to start thinking sustainably, the first thing... He, he says, the first thing we did was call a public meeting. And just a light bulb went on in my head and I thought, yeah, that's what this is. This is a public meeting. You know, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here, you know, with us. Um, and actually the shtick works quite well with the work in progress vibe because, you know, a sharing is messy and risky and urgent and, you know, you do what you can. And it's exactly the same in this situation. We're doing what we can. So I'm Maya Bugge. I am from Norway, from the very north of Norway, uh, called uh, Vesterålen Islands, above the Arctic Circle. That was where I was brought up. I've so further north than Trondheim. Further north, definitely. Because yeah, I've yeah. been to Trondheim and I felt rather depressed when I when I was in Trondheim. Oh, so it must be even darker. Oh yeah, no, it's it's utterly it's dark for three months in the winter. Oh, yeah, there's no gosh. light at all. And then, but then you got the light in the summer. So if you live there, you get the light in the summer for three months, day and night. You you don't sleep much. You just take in the energy, and then in the in the winter, you you are just inside. You know, yeah. You 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 just need to rest. You're in the dark for three months of the year. Uh, yeah. We are in, and I never realized how dark it was till I took my English husband up there for a month in the darkest month because I just thought, you know, that's nice. And he's quite the chirpish character. You know, I thought that would be no problem. But he found that really hard. What was the impact on him? Uh, just from being, yeah, not the depressive type at all to getting really, really heavy, really mm. depressed. And also I said, you know, I've got these nice hippie friends and we're going to stay in the fishing village and we're all going to socialise and it's going to be nice. And then on the first day they said, well, you know, the dark times, we, we tend to be in front of our fires and stick to ourselves. And he was like... So, uh, so this week has been about uh, getting to know each other in terms of our music, what we can do together, what works methods of working uh, then obviously we really wanted to make something about climate change and put this topic uh, on yeah on the stage and explore whether whether that is possible how that is possible um, and that's what we are really uh, you know, trying tomorrow. And it's risky business because, you know, it's, it's uh, composers and musicians have done that for centuries and centuries, the, the political, conveying a political message. And, and this is not, you know, black and white, you know, or it is black, black and white, but, you know, we're not trying to make something complex in terms of the message. The message is very clear. Uh, yet music has got that ability to obviously... Um, evoke emotions and go to a much more abstract level. Meeting on Monday, working on something, I mean it sounds from my perspective terrifying, it would be like producing a video in the space of five days, it's no, yeah. but how has yeah. it, it been? Uh, so we met last year and we immediately got on very well and started talking quite regularly, we'd just phone each other and um, so we've got uh, a relationship sort of already in place, if you like. Um, and musically, we've sent each other sounds and we've, you know, we've discussed and sort of uh, talked about music in advance. And so it's not like we've come in cold, but it's the first time we played together on Monday morning. 
And what was amazing was to discover the sound of the cello and the inside piano fitting so brilliantly together. So, um, but it has absolutely been intense and it's, you know, yeah, it's intense in what way? Well, just trying to uh, knowing what, what you can spend time on, knowing what you can trust will happen on the day, um, coming up with, you know, the, the dramaturgical shape of a basically sort of theatre show uh, whilst also being musicians, um, dealing with climate science whilst not being climate scientists. You know, there's a lot of areas of non-expertise which we sort of have to throw ourselves into. Um, I, it I mean, sounds I, like you revel in that, though. Yeah. I get the impression that you revel in that, really. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. that. Sarah having a great time doing it and we're having a laugh you know I mean we're, we're we're mothers of young children which is partially why we wanted to make this because in the darkest moments you just don't see a future for them so you know it's trying to be an activist and 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 and, and yeah making people change basically or how can we all change I get the impression from having spoken to Rebecca the producer uh, for the festival, that uh, what's important about this is that there are no hard and fast outcomes about the entire festival. So as a creative individual, you're sort of entering into a project where you don't really know what the outcome is going to be and that you've, you've got to be comfortable with the idea of failing, whatever failing means. Um, but So I get that, and I rather like that because that's sort of quite liberating. At the same time working with someone else on a project where there are no boundaries and there are no expected outcomes i find that quite challenging because it would be far too easy to just there need there needs to be some boundaries around creativity do, do you see what i mean yeah. how how have you established them when creating this work uh well i think with the experience that we have both me and Sarah worked in the industry professionally for the last 25 years so it's uh, it's using putting all the tools taking all the tools out of the toolbox in terms of not uh, uh, ending up with a, with a wishy-washy wag piece of music I think uh, this week has been very precious so we have so we have really structured tried to structure ourselves uh yeah oh it's a good question how have we done that um because it'd be very easy for it to sort of i i've had conversations with people about setting up a project or setting up a workshop for example and um we've we've entered into it with an enormous amount of enthusiasm oh we could do this we could do that and actually steam has run out of the uh, endeavor because actually there were no expectations or there was no outcome and and so energy is lost i'm sort of wondering well, how think, you've maintained yeah, I think it i've been there in quite a lot of projects before actually i think with this particular one because the topic feels so urgent uh, it actually uh, has has pushed us to to make structures, which is to do with dramaturgical structures, it's to do with making a concept. So you know, we're we're calling a public meeting, and that is the framework in which we're presenting our recital, uh, and that in itself created a framework. And then we have from from Wednesday morning onwards run the whole thing, like marked out the whole thing, which I think you couldn't do if you hadn't made fifteen theatre shows before. You know, so having had that experience. Thank you. 
we have got lined up already producers both in Norway and the UK that are interested in taking the work on. So we've actually had the pressure of making something that we can show them and, you know, uh, yeah, that, that pressure, I suppose, has made us have to make it. What do you want people who experience this tomorrow, what do you want them to leave thinking or doing? Uh, I want them to think about... I want them to think about what they can do. I'm hoping that they will find something that they can do. I'm hoping that they will not just get depressed because that's the first thing that happens with all this, isn't it? Uh, I'm hoping that they will feel less alone because I think it is a collective, uh, it, it is a collective project, the whole climate change thing and we have together with the fact that we're facing this as a, as, a, as a challenge, we have also become ridiculously individualistic and materialistic. And we, we're asked, we have to stop that. And I think that's a, that's, it's a really healthy thing for all of us. But I, yeah, I really hope that, that people can take that away. Uh, and you come from Suffolk, uh, don't no. you? No, no, no. I, I understand that you've been coming here for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, I have. It's amazing. I'm from Newcastle. Right. And the first time I came here was with the uh, NJPO, Nash, uh, Northern Junior Philharmonic Orchestra. And I was playing mandolin in Marla 7. Wow. In Snake Maltings Concert Hall. Wow. And it was so that was 89. 89. So that was, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> is when I first came to play in Snake Maltings Concert Hall. Is it? In Suffolk Youth Orchestra, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, do you remember when... But do you remember what you saw, what struck you when you first came here? Uh, I, I know what I remember. But. Yeah, well, of course, the sculptures, the marshes, um, and I can really remember being on the stage mm. and looking out into the hall as such a beautiful space. And I can remember being slightly terrified by the cymbal player behind me because it looked like he was about to drop a cymbal. And <laughs> so, so it was a cramped stage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course it was. It, it was, was Marla, like, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, okay. I, I played in the Colford School um, Senior Orchestra in the celebration of schools music in 1989 and I played saxophone solo in King Herod's song. I mean, it's nothing, obviously nothing like the mandolin, <laughs> mandolin and Marla, but I remember sitting centre of the stage and yeah. looking out into the auditorium and thinking, I own all of this. I mean, it was quite, it was, I, I can still remember that feeling now. And that's why I'm asking everybody the same thing. Because I think that, that the first impression that you get of the place is possibly the most lasting. I think that's what draws people back here. Yeah, but it's also extraordinary. I mean, this exact room, like I've been in this exact room over about 25 years. And with so many different people, you know, I came for years with Ollie Nusson conducting. Mm -hmm. Um, I On have a contemporary course. Yeah, exactly. Britain Peer School. Yes. Right. And then yeah, Britain Peer School, which sort of doesn't exist anymore. So when were you at the Britain Peer School? Uh, so that would have been '97 uh, onwards. And then really, yeah. I was working here then. Oh right. Yeah, oh, we've probably met I didn't. Them. I didn't expect that. When Andrew Cumbin was yes. chief exec. Yeah. Uh, um, no, when Sheila Colvin was general manager of Old Foundation, Cathy Wolfenden was direct. That, I mean, that was ninety. Cathy uh, Wolfenden was ninety five, ninety six, and um, there was a Liz Webb was director. Yes, Liz of the Webb. <laughs> yeah, who now lives really close to me. Yeah, yeah. who was married to a composer? Uh, who is married yeah, to a composer? Ed who's an Ed Hughes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so, but I really remember Andrew Combin sitting in the office out there. Mm. And, um, yeah, loads and loads of people. I was thinking about them all last night. Um, but, yeah. I remember know. it being an incredibly stressful experience because up until that point, every other course was either a singer and a pianist or an orchestra or a string quartet. And then there was this contemporary composition course. Like, well, I don't understand. What, what, how, does it, how did it help you? Ah, it was totally amazing. The first <laughs> thing I did... I was at Giltel, I was on the accompanist course, and one of the other accompanists said to me, oh, I've been asked to go up to Oldborough to play Celeste in the Embers Nightingale. What is that? I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I just don't, and where I, does this come from? Right. I don't, yeah. And I, so I was like, well, I'll do it. Sounds good. You know, so I came up, 
And literally the rehearsal was already happening. It was in the top room in this building. Yeah. Ollie Nussen was conducting. I had no idea how famous and amazing he was. Mm. I walked in, I was like, sorry, I'm late. Sat down at the Celeste, started playing. And he, over the next 10 years, taught me like most of what I needed to know about probably everything I needed to know about contemporary music, you know, about precision and about um, colour and about um, just the layering of sounds and how it's just the same as every other type of music. And, you know, we, yeah, we just had this amazing rapport and we ended up doing lots of Castiglione together. And I remember um, being scared of Ollie. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't scared of him because I didn't know he was famous. And yet, and yet musicians will always say, no, he was, he was utterly adorable. Yeah, he was. He was totally adorable. Yeah, we, and we had an amazing concert uh, last year, was it now? Before we The memorial. Yeah. No, the memorial, oh, the memorial concert. concert. Yeah, which yeah. so, you know. Um, but also, I mean, yeah, so, you know, Fred Cherry, Magnus Lindbergh, Colin Matthews, like all these people. And then what was interesting was how that course gradually morphed into new music, new media. And then I ended up teaching that as well. And like, I can remember sitting, listening to Dave Shepard, lecturing about mixers and going, what is he talking about? And then me and Dave ended up in a band wow. with Mira Calix. And then we came here and did a residency as Alexander's Annex. So, um, and then I also did repetitoring on Elephant and Castle, which was the big opera that happened. So, yeah, so I feel like every stage of my life has been represented. Does it feel like home? Um, well, interestingly... <laughs> Shall we sit down? <laughs> no, no, interestingly, I want to make a home that's like another old, like, like another Snape. Obviously much smaller, right? Yeah, but you want an old house. <laughs> what's precious is letting people come together. And it feels to me that brings us also right back to the topic that we're talking about, because it's just being together and chatting and learning. And I would love to bring scientists together with musicians, with artists, but also with historians or geographers or, you know, and just to have that fluidity and generosity of a residency, actually. So, yeah, so we did actually look at a farm recently and I was like, yeah, this is this is close to the the Snape vibe. So, yeah. Uh, Have you put an offer in? Uh, no, because... Um, because you haven't got the money. <laughs> it's, it, there, there's, lot, there's a lot of listed cob buildings. Oh, OK. And right. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're not cob builders, but, you know. OK, well, there's time. There's Maybe time. there's time to learn. Um, I, am, I, I want to tell you what I think about what I'm looking at first, <laughs> right? So I've seen pictures of the inside-out piano, and I do think it's quite frightening. Frightening? I am, I'm, I find, if I sit at it, it's... It's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, that's the impression that I have. Of because it. it's towering. Because it's towering. Mm. I mean, it's the same size as the grand piano. It's basically a grand piano. I say basically. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Making light of all of your. No, work. I like the. I like that language. I uh, say it's basically, basically yeah. a a grand piano upended. Well, I say with the keyboard chopped off and put back on at ninety degrees. Uh, I think that's a better description. <laughs> yes, very so good. Very it's, good. It's, it's the first thing to say is it's a normal piano, right? Yeah. So you, it is. You can play it normally. You can play everything on it, Bach, Debussy, Beethoven, whatever. But the strings go up vertically from the keys. Yep. And what's crucial about this piano is I've designed it so you can reach every single part of every single string. Yes. Because the dampers are behind, the action's behind, it's straight strung, there's no bars in the way. So that's the technical where, detail where did this idea come from because this is not a recent thing this is something that you've been developing yeah over a considerable yeah yeah like 10 12 years so um actually i suppose if you if we come right back to this room you know 25 years ago and me playing some ensemble contemporary piece and leaning into the piano to do that pizzicato whatever it is the harmonic and uh, then increasingly composers um, writing scores that involve that sort of thing and thrusting them at me. And then at a certain point, I was leaning into the piano. I just thought, actually, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's like, you know how people have stand-up, sit-down desks now? Yes, be like having, God, aren't they annoying? Well, Sorry, it, <laughs> they're probably great, but it would be like having a slightly lean-forward desk, you know, a stand-up and then lean-forward desk. Yeah. You know, it's just chronic for your back. So it was, pra- it was pragmatism. Totally. It was, it was coming up with a solution to a problem. Totally. Uh, Which I thought I'd solve much quicker than Why? <laughs> how long did it take? Well, well no, the thing is that we're, we're still trying to solve it because this piano is really heavy. So it's, it's wonderful, but it's got a massive metal frame on the back of it to hold it basically in midair. Um, and can, we a, can we have a look without yeah. knocking a 
Oh dear God, look at that. <laughs> oh, this, is the, this is the piano that swings, is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. that's even more terrifying. <laughs> like, can it, well, I will, can it... I will put it swinging in a minute because it'll just be fun to see your face. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Um, okay. So the, the back of it is uh, basically theatre trusses. Right. So it's kind of lighting truss. Uh, it's a rig, basically. And it's an A-frame so that um, I can ratchet the piano down put it on a trolley and put it in a van and I can do that almost on my own I just need some help with the pushing into the van bit right how long does it take to set up then uh, van to I can get up? it built in 15 minutes if I really have to okay. so you can't really be late anywhere can you <laughs> not really but the point is the frame takes up a lot of space because it has to be heavy and what I really want to do next is make the whole thing light. So I found these brilliant aerospace engineers who, between them, have got 55 years' experience in aerospace. And we're going to build a composite piano, which is going to weigh 82 kilos. And it's going to be the same shape as this piano. Um, so, yeah, so when I talk about it taking a long time, it's the, it's the whole journey, I suppose, from concept through to what in my head is the finished article yes. but what's wonderful along the way is when you're developing instruments is to discover what the instrument itself does yes well i was i was surprised by when i uh, i just want to avoid the cello god yeah. i don't want to knock over a cello um that actually when i saw videos of you playing it it made me think of it made me think of john cage yeah actually and it made me think that it offers up a whole lot more artistic possibility or creative possibilities, yeah. a bit like John Cage's yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Is that how you found it? Totally. And that's what's really important, I think, with instrument building, is that you you know, have the idea and you do the thing, and then you also take all of the time that you need to discover what, what it is that you've actually made. Um, and talking about John Cage, I mean, he's famous for bolts, sticking bolts yeah. in between strings. But I um, learnt from Myra Melford, actually, um, that instead of using bolts, you can just stick a magnet on the string, and that sounds like this. Oh. Sorry, we may have to do that again. I didn't expect to react. <laughs> I should have just remembered this is not about me. <laughs> it's quite... Uh, I, d I don't know what the word is, but I didn't expect... It to, it, there's a... There's a there's quite a physical reaction to it. I mean, yes. quite apart from the fact that obviously it is a physical act. Yeah. Because you're hearing it there, and actually I can't think of any other instrument, live acoustic instrument, where you would get that sound coming right at you. Where you're facing the sound. The yeah. way I think of it is that now my ears are pretty much where the mics would go on a recording session. You know, we're, we're literally in the kind of sweet spot of the instrument. I mean, I find it wonderful. It, it, yeah, it's literally you're, you're inside the sound. It, yeah, I'm really surprised that I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to fiddle a little bit more, but I am really surprised about that. that I can't that work was out. John playing that scale. Yes. <laughs> To work out the note, no, no, that it's fine. One. So I've marked the black keys with stickers, right? So that I can easily play the strings like I play the keyboard. I think what I'm really surprised about is how, actually, I could see I could spend hours just sat at a keyboard, just just yeah. fiddling. Is that what yeah. you've done? And I think what's really lovely is it sort of demystifies it, right? So when people lean into a grand piano, you think, oh, I wonder what they're doing. That's interesting. Yeah. Whereas here, you can see everything that's going on. And absolutely, it, like, in terms of accessibility, actually, the inside of the piano offers something that the keyboard never can, you know. Mm. You have to practice for hours to get anything sounding amazing on a keyboard. Mm. But, to, you know, you can just pick a chord and, and decide to strum it. It's rattling because of the magnets. Yes. <laughs> I'll just pop those off. But, you know, something as straightforward as strumming a note on a guitar suddenly becomes exactly the same on a piano. No, 
And the other thing I've noticed is that kids love watching the hammers yeah. moving as they play. So uh, it totally invites you in, doesn't it? Uh, how do you find going, uh, returning to a normal grand? Do you, do, do, you, do you feel a little bit like, oh? It's, it's quite disappointing, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they sound great, right? Yeah. So this piano is from 1900, so it's like nearly 120 years old. It's an Erard, so it's a beautiful piano. Um, Erard, do, do you remember a couple of weeks ago they had one, they had the Queen's Erard yes, at the yes. proms. So it's a beautiful piano, but it is old. And recently I was um, at Cheetham's at my old school doing a piano course and I had um, a Shiguru Kawaii in my room <laughs> and it was so nice. <laughs> and I did sort of think, yeah, it's a bit of a shame that it's so, so sort of old and naked. So I kind of miss that you don't get to play different amazing instruments. But... Um, yeah, in, in terms of the shape, I feel like this shape is just, for me, the best shape. Um, you know, I'm in the sound and everything is totally available. I can just play every harmonic on a string if I want to. But you when know. I listen to that, that sounds like we're in a recording studio. Yeah. And that's gone to a synthesizer. Right, right, right. That's You're, weird. So it's like these, we're listening to electronic music. Yeah, yeah. These are really good. These, these, these ones down here. They're, they're and there's all the all the uh, all the harmonics and and the ambience. It's that's what I mean. That I could see how you could easily sit in front of the keyboard and just spend hours um, entertaining yourself. Well, well, and not creating anything. Well, or, or, well, or, well we, depends on your definition. I, I was about to say, welcome to my life, but without the... Um... <laughs> right, right. I realise I'm saying some really quite unhelpful things. Uh, I'm possibly and, insulting and you. knocking <clears throat> as well. It's really funny, I discovered... I'm just going to go and get a timpani stick. There's one there, look. There right there. Oh, yeah, great. I discovered the piano was sort of in E minor. It's got this seven. It's it sounds a bit like oh, that's amazing. The piano's just been tuned. Now it sounds like the piano's in E flat. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, wow. the whole thing's changed. This is amazing. But so I've sort of found. So that's that's actually turned into an E flat. I need to rechange my pencil. Mark. So it strikes me that you have uh, an unusual relationship with this piano in a way that perhaps other pianists don't. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder whether it's the same. This will seem a little bit weird, but I wanted to no, <laughs> suspend disbelief for a yeah, moment. Yeah. I wonder whether it's the same as the implicit connection that one has with with one's push bike. Well, I think do you know. I think it's like a violinist would always play their own violin, mm. and. Um, I think to be able to develop that relationship with an instrument is really brilliant. And actually somebody came, um, I, I've been doing like little salon gigs in my studio recently, and someone came, they hadn't heard me play, they don't go to concerts so much, and he was like, watching you with the piano is really extraordinary. It's this kind of totally involved, um, fluid relationship where I'm just exploring it and... Um, so I, I think I care more about the piano than my bike, but bikes are great. Now, I ask you about... Yes, yes they are. <laughs> yes, that was really genuine. That sounded really genuine. I ask you because I had my bike stolen at the oh. beginning of this week. Oh. And what I had forgotten is that when that happens, there is an inexplicable sense of loss, like there's been yeah. a death in the family. And... and and I don't have, I, I don't love cycling. I just, yeah, I loved my bike. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder whether that's the same with the piano. That's why I was making the connection. Yeah, I mean... I mean, clearly nobody is going to thieve this. Well, I mean... Although I do know of one at the Royal Academy that was, that there's a famous story about yeah, a Royal yeah. Academy piano with people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, So people might. Because the movers turned up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Although I suppose, you know, fundamentally, if it did... If it's going it, to take them 15 minutes to nick it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, also, if, they, if, if for some reason somebody did take it, then, like, I would just build another one, I suppose. And also there would be one of this. Yeah, so as soon obvious. as they come to sell it, they'd get, no, hang on, no, we know who owns it. Also, this. Whoever, whoever nicked it would have to be, like, really into inside pianos. So it'd <laughs> probably be quite easy to track them down. <laughs> yeah, you probably know them already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, 
but is there that I suppose that is there that emotional connection such that if you lost it there would be that sense of loss well I think an interesting thought is what you do with the instruments when you've built the next one so for example the last one so the first prototype that I built was an upright that we hacked apart in a squat in Liverpool and um, I went to a ship builder who built some steel arms for it, basically. That's difficult to say, isn't it? And um, it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ship builder. Ship builder. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's fine. And, um, and basically it had two steel arms and then all the bits of the piano sort of mashed, mashed together in the middle. Um, and it was the same shape as this, a normal keyboard string straight up from the keys. Um, but I, couldn't, I didn't have room to keep that one once this one was built. And it was heartbreaking the day that I had to finally decide, okay, I need to get rid of this piano. And I can totally remember, like, watching it on the flatbed, like, whatever, like council truck. The car taken away on that, yeah. Well, yeah. well I, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think I don't feel as strongly about vehicles as you do. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you've made that statement and then instantly laugh <laughs> in order to lessen the impact of it. Uh, this, is, this is quite a classic... It's a whale noise, I think. Oh, do that again. Oh my God, I love that. I really love that. <laughs> you must do that again. Isn't it gorgeous? I mean, what, what is going on there? What is that? Yeah, it's just it's a little rubber ball, which you have to buy exactly the right balls. They have to be slightly matte rather than shiny. And, um, and I'm That is a specialist it. ball, isn't it? Well, no, I got it. I, I get them from gift shops at art oh. galleries. That seems to be the, the place that does the best. No, let's, let's call them a specialist ball, I think. <laughs> and, um, and it's got a screw in it. I mean, this is not me being original. Like uh, People are like, oh, what's he called? Eddie... Who does uh, the London improvisation scene a lot? Anyway, people drag them across drum skins, and you know, I'm definitely not the first person to do it. Um, (laughs) And I'm just dragging it uh, slowly and with not too much pressure down the bass strings, so down the wound strings. So it's basically the rubber and the wound strings. Um, You're going to love this one. This is an Ebo, which is for electric guitars. person that I think I'm meeting today or one other thing that I'm seeing which is voice colour motion yeah Fran Lobo going to be um, eventually played through various speakers with a light show that goes with it but the idea is that audience members can trigger certain things to happen just by moving around the room so there will be sensors on the speakers and as an audience member gets closer to a particular speaker then something particular will happen. Um, earlier on today and she was sort of painting a picture of 
uh, loads of different artists coming together and basically talking and developing their thinking. Is that is that roughly how it's been? Through? Yeah, I mean, we've actually been kind of in our own independent zones, just like um, working away. Um, and we had a dinner last night where we kind of got to chat to each other and work out what who everyone is and what everyone's doing. Um, but yeah, it's been a good mixture of just working really hard. And I think midweek we kind of found the balance of like enjoying being at Snape, being at Aldborough, going for swims, going and getting ice cream and fish and chips. Have you been to the Cross Keys yet? No. Okay, but you've been to the fish and chip shop. Yes. Right. You must go to the. You must the go Cross to the Cross Keys. Keys. You must. That's the. I mean, there are many pubs in Oldborough, but obviously the Cross Keys is the one. Oh wow. I'd suggest. Maybe I'd tonight. humbly suggest. Okay. Um, uh, but that's probably more information than you need because it may be that you don't want to go to the pub. You may just want to curl up with a book. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, no, I definitely want to check it out. I'm. I'm spending. I've decided to spend the day in Oldborough on Sunday as well because I'm not working that day. Right. Just to enjoy the time here. What prompted you to do this residency? Why did you want to do it? Um, I had been talking about developing an idea for a sound and light immersive choral installation um, with various people. And then spoke to my friend Gowan, who's busy working away next door, um, who suggested the Snape residency and... I know some people that have done it before. Some of the guys from Firefly Burning I've worked with before. I know that they've done it. My friend Ayana did it last year. But I hadn't thought about applying for a residency here until Gowan suggested it. And um, it's been really useful because we run into a lot of tech challenges and difficulties and things that were really good to experience here rather than at a much later date because the installation is being taken to the V&A at the end of November um, and hopefully beyond. Tell me about the installation. I have a one-sentence brief, but I'm sure it can't be condensed only <laughs> into a sentence. That seems like a bit of an insult, really. Um, it's, yeah, it's sort of morphed and changed a lot as we've been here at Snape. But the initial conception was that it would be a choral composition, a multi-experienced in a multi-channel way on eight speakers in the round um, with lights as well um, and that the audience would be able to affect certain parameters of the elements of the piece by their proximity to motion sensors which would be attached to each speaker and each speaker would also be attached to a light. Um, we found out by day three that <laughs> The motion sensors we were using were heavily interfering with one another um, just because we were using ultrasound which was registering your using your kind of range of distance to measure where you were um, and because we've got lights which are quite powerful um, using lasers wasn't an option either um, but we've now realized that there's uh, well, in this room here, we've got quite a lot of different bits of gear, which we've put samples of my voice on. So we've got one of the motion sensors here, um, which is a laser one. Um, we've got an MPC sample pad. We've got another sample pad here. Um, and we're also looking into two things which aren't in here, which is pulling on a cord or a rope, that when you pull it, the sound comes out, um, and having sensors on the floor, which when you stamp on them, sort of like a sampler, they pick up different elements of sound. Um, and yeah, we've just been experimenting mainly with, we've worked out that it's, yeah, it's quite an ambitious concept because it's already, a, it would be a piece within itself just being a choral composition installation that was experienced in a multi-channel way with, with lights, you know, interacting with the, the rhythms of the sound. Um, but also having the, tech side of it with the motion sensors is, is a whole nother layer and actually we've worked out that we don't need to have the motion sensors or the tech involved in every because there's four movements in the in the piece that we don't need to have the tech in every section 
So we're really just, it's been really good. We've been experimenting with a lot of, and talking a lot and playing with a lot of different bits of gear. Um, and part of what the audience will get to give to us is like their uh, impressions of what they think they'd prefer maybe if they if they would come to see the piece later or what bits they liked or what bits of gear they think work well or we're just going to have an open discussion with them so there's two parts to their experience they'll get to experience bits of the composition which are obviously a work in progress and then come in here and we'll just have a dis chat with them and they'll get to play with some of the gear in here what were the questions that you were asking yourself when you embarked on this it sounds as though when you embarked on it there were lots of things that you didn't have an answer for. Yeah. And one of the reasons for, for doing it was that you wanted to find those answers. Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm wondering what questions you were posing yourself when you embarked on it. The questions, yeah, I... I yeah, some of the questions I was thinking about were what is the piece about, first of all, um, and does it need to be about a specific thing or can it be kind of a bit more... Um, sort of allegoric in a way or just be a little bit less sort of specific because I I initially just wanted to create almost like a sound bath so like a immersive like meditative kind of like environment and then as I started digging deeper into it I thought that maybe the the piece could could have like each movement represents a certain stage in um something that I experienced, which was voice trauma a few years ago. So I lost my voice. I couldn't really sing for quite a while. Um, and I had intense voice rest for like about two or three weeks. And then my voice slowly started to come back. Um, and then I was thinking, do I need to do loads of research into the science behind it? And then also into light therapy or sound therapy. And there's all these different questions I was asking myself. But I also was asking myself, should I compose a lot of it before I come here? Or should I just do it all when I'm here? And I ended up just doing most of it whilst I was here. Um, was that a challenge? I mean, I wonder it whether, was, it, whether personally you were thinking, I. so when I hear you say that, I think I, I, when I work on a project, I think I need to prepare everything beforehand. I need to get it all lined up. I can't yeah. leave anything to chance, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And the challenge for me would be to completely let go. What is the challenge for you in that scenario? Yeah, the challenge. Like I was, I was talking to other friends of mine who were like, "Yeah, you should just compose it all before you go and mix it and everything." But actually, I'm really happy that I didn't do that because whilst I've been here, I realised that I had a very strong vision in my mind of what I wanted it to look like and what I thought the capabilities of the technology were and what how I imagined it feeling and looking. But actually, whilst we've been here, I've realised that the tech, specifically looking back at the motion sensors. Um, I imagine them being picking up things in a quite precise way, but they're they're not precise at all. They're really like unpredictable and like they're good for like kind of random noise, that more more that kind of thing rather than like specific a piece of music that has to be in time and like there's specific things that are coming in and out. Um, so I was really happy that I got a chance to when all the speakers were set up next door. Um, I had a chance to like really hear like how the different parts were coming in and out. Um, yeah, that was the main question I think, and I hadn't I hadn't thought about other possibilities. I just was really fixated on these motion sensor things. But now I've realised that there's a lot. I still am going to involve motion sensors. I think in the final thing, but I'm not going to have eight of them. I'm going to have different something that we've kind of settled on which may change is that we're going to have parts of the piece which is experienced as a sound and light experience so they're just listening to a piece and then there'll be sections where they're given cues where they can actually change the piece so they can um, use some of the gear that will be set up by the stations we also started out thinking it'd be an eight channel installation and it's now a six channel installation and it, but it, we might change it again to like eight again, I don't know. Everything's been changing every day, basically. <laughs> is it possible to experience it now? Yeah. This is Gavin. Hey, hello. hello. I'm really sorry. I realise that you're in the process of setting up and I've turned up with a microphone and just... Oh, it's no problem at all. Nice to meet you. Very welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
beautiful. Um, really quite moving, actually. Oh, wow. Quite unexpectedly. I mean, it's just. <laughs> how how did you come how how did you come about that? This piece. Yeah. How did you how did you produce that? I mean, that's a series of loops. Yeah, a series of in loops. a in a timeline. Uh, well, actually, it's all ambient kind of loop. Yeah, in a timeline, but right. I did, it, I did it quite quickly, actually. <laughs> it's okay. I don't, I don't, I don't tell me when I'm asking far too noisy yeah, questions. Yeah. But it's weirdly like, it's, yeah, it's, my, it's kind of my favourite one because it was so pure. It did, I just made it like in like half an hour. Uh, my name's Gowan Hewitt. I'm a composer and artist. I think <laughs> yeah. with something like this, so Fran's been thinking about this project for a long time and really conceiving what's going on. And I think what's happened with this piece is she's tapped into what is years of training thinking and practice and vocal training and composition and actually allowed herself to to remove that kind of very present thinking process from the creativity and actually just really managed to sit on something quite elemental yeah. and quite pure and I think because it flows so freely through her as she's composing uh, it sounds like that came through to you as a, as a member of audience yes. and, uh, and that's quite exciting so I think in this there, one, there were moments for, for example towards the end when so the bass yeah, the bass yeah. loop yeah. at time because of the repetition I, and because of where I was in the room it kind of made me feel as though I was in the heart of an engine yeah, yeah. and when, when I made that connection in my head uh, and it kept going and it kept going then the question in my head was when is it going to stop not because I wanted it to stop yeah. but because this story has to come to an end at some point yeah. um, and when you hear voices sort of drifting away in one of the other tracks then then there was an emotional release which is like oh it's, oh, it's going it's going don't let it go don't let it do, do you know what I mean and that's why I was interested in how it was how it came about I mean it is a joyous thing that you're being so self-effacing about it and I completely <laughs> uh, I completely uh, appreciate that um, my rather naughty questions would probably make it seem uh, quite overlook one of one the artistic element of it but it is quite a powerful thing to experience Oh, amazing. Yeah, I kind of, I think that piece just came really emotionally. I didn't think about it in a kind of technical way or anything. It was just like, I just did it very instinctively. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I liked, I'm glad that you noticed each part sort of slowly coming out. So yeah. I, I purposely obviously did that. So I wanted, and I, want, I wanted, to, I wanted, and I wanted the bass to be the last thing because I, I added a lot of sub to that. And it was all, it's all just using my voice. So I haven't added any extra like, it's just but there is story to it. There yeah. is clearly narrative to it, which yeah. is actually what that elemental thing uh, that, that you're yeah. referring to, uh, and that's uh, I think that's quite an amazing thing to achieve. Thank you so uh, much. I admire <laughs> it. I'm also terrified by it. <laughs> um, so when when does it appear at the VNA? I mean, it does appear at the VNA. It does. Yes. When it's will we see be it? In the Norfolk House Music Room at right. the VNA late in November, which I believe is the last Friday of November, which I think is the thirtieth. Okay, uh, I'm, my dates are not really very good. Um, but the theme of that late is motion, so this will sit pretty nicely. I mean, will it essentially be the same setup? Yeah, I think so. Um, um, well, what, you're seeing, what you're seeing here is the beginning of the process of building it. So yeah. um, we've come here with a good idea of what we're going to do, but this has been the week where we've built it. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify and Audioboom. To get in touch, please tweet at Thoroughly Good. You can also follow Thoroughly Good on Facebook and read the blog at thoroughlygood.me.